Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the History of Forgotten Lands podcast. This week, we actually have a first for the podcast because the Hashemite Arab Federation, which we'll be talking about today, actually was a legitimate country with widespread international recognition. Hooray! Now let's get into how that happened. It was the early years of the Cold War, and the Arab world was in a very uneasy position. For a long time prior to the Second World War, pretty much the entirety of the Arab world had been colonized by one European power or another, but as the Cold War continued, political tensions between the East and West caused more and more former European colonies to break away from their overlords, and the Arabs were no exception. As the Arab nations of the world slowly came into their own as independent nations, one question started to loom large on their collective consciousness. The whole of Europe was divided up into nation-states, wherein one country was roughly equal to one ethnicity, so why shouldn't an Arab nation-state exist? This question was called Pan-Arabism, and it's a very key part of our story today. If the Arab world were to have hypothetically united into a single country, it would have stretched from the westernmost shores of Morocco all the way across the North African coast and Arabian Peninsula to the eastern edge of Oman. Such a country would have been immensely powerful, being rich in pretty much every natural resource, and would have rivaled the United States and the Soviet Union as a third world superpower. There's not really a whole lot of reasons that the Arabs wouldn't have wanted it to happen, except for the fact that there were a whole lot of reasons that the Arabs didn't want it to happen. The biggest roadblock in the way of an Arab Union was the fact that everyone thought that they should be the leader of it. This issue had absolutely no clear solution either. Some Arab states were Sunni and others were Shia, which was a conflict that no one was about to settle. Some states were monarchies and others were republics, some were western-aligned and some leaned east. It was just a mess. However, just because it wasn't likely to work didn't mean some people weren't going to try. The first plan was proposed way back during World War II, just after France had been defeated by the Germans. It wasn't looking like the French were going to be able to hold on to their colony in Syria, so the Kingdom of Iraq approached the British with a proposal. Help us unite Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, and Jordan with Iraq as a single country under the rule of the Hashemite clan's monarchy that already existed in Iraq. This became known as the Fertile Crescent Plan, named after where it would be taking place, and the Iraqis brought it to the British because one, the British were still standing, and two, Britain owned Palestine and Jordan at that time, which were a big chunk of what Iraq had eyes on. Obviously, the plan didn't go into effect during the war, since Britain was busy with some other stuff, but it did get brought up again in late 1949, when a pro-Union general named Sami al-Hinawi had assumed control of Syria. At that point, it wasn't entirely unlikely that the Fertile Crescent Plan would actually be initiated, but later that year, al-Hinawi was overthrown in a coup, and the plan was dead in the water. So pan-Arabism was still in trouble, but then something happened. In February of 1958, the leaders of Egypt and Syria came together and successfully created the United Arab Republic, or UAR as I'll call it from here. This new, non-contiguous country was dominated by its Egyptian half under the control of President Gamal Abdel Nasser, and I'm sure the Egyptians and the Syrians were very excited about it, 
but the neighboring Iraqis and Jordanians were in a panic. You see, Jordan and Iraq could not have been more different from the UAR. The UAR was a Republican Socialist Union, while both Iraq and Jordan were very much Western-aligned monarchies. And this is just where the problems started. Egypt's President Nasser was openly anti-monarchy and very pro-Arab Union, outwardly inviting other countries to join the UAR and therefore indirectly threatening the security and sovereignty of both Iraq and Jordan. Oh, and here's the other thing. Iraq and Jordan also both bordered Saudi Arabia, whose monarchical and religious system was at least mildly hostile to them as well. So if somehow the Saudis decided to join the UAR, the very existence of Iraq and Jordan would be in jeopardy. Therefore, in an effort to ensure the security of his nation, Prime Minister Nouri al-Sayed of Iraq approached the royal government of Jordan and proposed a unification between their two countries in order to challenge the UAR. And wouldn't you know it, the plan was formalized by February 14, 1958, bringing the Hashemite Arab Federation into existence. And that may have seemed quick and easy to you, but I want to emphasize just how quick and easy that was. The Federation was actually formalized eight days before the UAR was even legally official. And there is a reason that the unification of Iraq and Jordan went so smoothly. You see, not only were the two countries neighbors with aligned interests, but the Kingdom of Iraq and the Kingdom of Jordan were ruled by the Hashemite Arab clan. And these weren't two distantly related branches of the Hashemites either. King Faisal II of Iraq and King Hussein of Jordan were first cousins. So the cousin kings were now co-rulers of the Hashemite Arab Federation, which really only worked for them because the two halves of the country were almost completely autonomous. Sure, they now had the same foreign and defense policies, but Hussein remained supreme in Jordan and Faisal did the same in Iraq. I'll tell you what, though, it was a good thing they had a united defense policy because Nasser was over in Egypt and he was about to put their unity to the test. The summer of 1958 dragged on until one day the Hashemites looked up and realized there was a small army on their Syrian border. This triggered an immediate response from the Federation, who sent their own forces to the Syrian border, and a standoff ensued between the United Arab Republic and the Hashemite Arab Federation. With more and more troops moving to the border on both sides every day, it looked like war might be on the horizon until July 14th, when King Faisal of Iraq's head exploded. It was weird, actually. His entire family and Prime Minister al-Sayed suffered from the same condition that day as well. So here's what happened. In mid-July 1958, there was a lot of troop movement going on in the Hashemite Arab Federation, what with the threat of invasion on the northern border and all that. Unfortunately for King Faisal, not all of the troops moving in his kingdom were actually his. For the past couple of years at that point, a secret revolutionary organization known as the Free Officers had been plotting against the Iraqi monarchy. These men had actually been inspired by Nasser's overthrow of the Egyptian monarchy back in 52, and much like Nasser, they sought to step away from the influence of the West though it should be mentioned that the Iraqi free officers were not actually agents of Nasser, just big fans. So, when Nasser triggered a border crisis for the Hashemites, the free officers took that opportunity to act. 
Abd al-Karim Qasim, a brigadier in the Iraqi Royal Army, led a contingent of men to Baghdad, masquerading as troops headed for the northern border. Upon entering the city on July 14th, they stopped, wheeled around, and attacked the royal government, and by the end of the day they had successfully lined up the entire royal family against a wall and shot them in the back of the head. Alongside the royal family lay the bodies of Prime Minister al-Sayed and Jordanian Prime Minister Ibrahim Hashem, who had unfortunately been visiting Baghdad at that time. From that day going forward, Iraq was officially known as the Iraqi Republic, also called Nasserist Iraq. These events sent King Hussein of Jordan into a panic, and he reached out to his Western allies for support in hopes of stopping the revolution before it could reach Jordan. The British sent over 4,000 troops to guarantee the security of the king's government, and the United States sent about $45 million, but neither of these two things were enough to mend what had happened in Iraq, and the Hashemite Arab Federation was officially legally dissolved on August 2nd of 1958, though it had been de facto over for a number of weeks at that point. So there you go. Our first inarguably legitimate country come and gone just like that. But that's just the thing, right? The Hashemite Arab Federation was a legitimate country, so why have we forgotten it? Frankly, I think this one just boils down to ignorance. Speaking as an American, you would be hard-pressed to find someone on the street that could accurately point to Iraq, Syria, or Jordan on a map and I'd actually probably bet that most Americans have never even heard of Jordan as a country. Then you can add the fact that Iraq was a central character of our narrative today. Since the fall of the Ottoman Empire, Iraq has gone through no less than seven distinct periods of instability, revolution, invasion, and collapse. And even today, Iraq still doesn't have control over all of its own territory. You could devote an entire lifetime to the study of the last 100 years of Iraqi history, and you still may not have everything understood. So it's not super surprising to me that a lot of people kind of go, oh, Iraq? Oh, yikes. But now it's not forgotten because we just talked about it, and therefore everything is better. That's all I have for you this week. If you enjoyed the show, please, please, please consider leaving a review on whatever platform you listen on. That's probably the number one way that the show can grow. And if not, uh, I'm sorry you didn't like it, but I hope to see you again next week.